Hello, and welcome to another edition of the Pink Sheets Farmer Regulatory Podcast. I'm Derek Ingery, a senior writer at the Pink Sheet, and I'm joined by fellow senior writer Sarah Carlin Smith and executive editor Nielsen Hobbs. That collective sigh you heard about a week ago was from the residents of the U.S. hearing that the election had been decided. While not everyone has accepted the result yet, the transition process has started, and we thought we would offer some of our initial observations. We don't know very much at this point, in part because President Trump has not allowed the official transition process to begin, but President-elect Biden has named his transition team, including those who will help, who will review the Health and Human Services Department, including the FDA. Sarah, you looked more closely at some of the uh, the members of the uh, of the transition team. Right. So I actually looked at um, what's sort of a separate advisory board um, for COVID-19, which Biden actually announced, I believe, before his transition team, the special COVID board. It um, has 13 members right now, but he's indicated he might um, add some more. One of the co Chairs of that group is former FDA Commissioner David Kessler, who served under both Republican President George H.W. Bush and Democratic President Bill Clinton. Um, also during, you know, the AIDS epidemic, the birth of accelerated approval and that sort of stuff for FDA. Um, a more recent FDA or FDA chief scientist, Luciana Borio, um, is also on there. Um, those are sort of the two kind of FDA representatives. Um, There's some other notable people like the former Surgeon General Vivek Murthy, um, certainly some, you know, well-known academics and so forth. I think people I talked to just sort of seemed rather pleased with the composition of this group and, you know, sort of a sign that things would kind of go back to uh, the status quo of pre-Trump era, uh, you know, that science and respect for science and a fairly independent FDA would be, you know, the way things work. And um, certainly with Kessler and Borio there, you have people, like I said, who've had experience working on different um, types of pandemics, epidemics. you know, Borio has been fairly critical of how FDA has responded um, or done some of its work under the outbreak. Um, so I think people definitely see just, like I said, positive signs of kind of a transition back to sort of a more independent um, science-driven FDA. And Thanks. We also, uh, I'm sorry, Matt, go ahead. Uh, no, I, I uh, um, was just going to say uh, thank you, uh, sir. That was a great uh, um, great summary, and uh, you know, there's certainly uh, um, lots of uh, um, stuff to review for the uh, um, for the team there. And uh, um, it's uh, it's interesting that sort of kind of FDA is uh, um, so prominently represented in that uh, um, in that group. Uh, um, you know, obviously, sort of kind of the development of that vaccine and therapeutics will be uh, um, will be important. But uh, um, you know, it seems like sort of much more of a uh, a public health uh, um, you know, sort of kind of uh, um, uh, communication with the, uh, um, uh, you know, with the various constituencies uh, challenge at the moment in terms of handling the uh, the COVID-19 uh, um, epidemic. So uh, um, uh, the fact that they sort of kind of think this were kind of a uh, um, some regulatory uh, um, role to play is uh, is very interesting uh, um, uh, and uh, obviously sort of heartening to, uh, to stakeholders at the agency. Yeah, and this, um, it ca- Biden, when talking about the COVID advisory board, 
you know, made a number of references to um, the um, review of COVID vaccines and that being grounded in science. And as part of this advisory board, they have the seven point COVID plan, um, which indicates, you know, they want to, of course, they say, you know, put scientists in charge of all decisions related to vaccine, but also, you know, let career staff write a written report for public review, permit them to appear before Congress and speak publicly and censored, um, publicly release clinical data. So they seem to really be thinking a lot about how, um, you know, public trust and vaccine hesitancy maybe has been heightened, um, you know, the past sort of few months under the pandemic because of the way the Trump FDA has operated and they seem to be kind of taking direct steps, not just sort of to, you know, elevate the independence and sort of scientific nature of FDA overall, but really thinking about um, public perception around the vaccines. Well, and they've got the right people to do that, too. I mean, <clears throat> David Kessler was there, was heading FDA during, you know, during the height of the AIDS crisis. So, you know, he's he, he's experienced in not just, you know, running the agency, but running the agency when there was a, you know, a, you know, similar to not, I mean, I'm not going to compare COVID to the AIDS crisis, but, you know, a, a uh, you know, a, a heightened, uh, or, you know, a, a focus on a, on a specific, um, you know, issue that they're, you know, that, that is in dire need of, of solving too. So you have a, you know, you have, you have experience in the right, you know, potentially the right places there. Um, interestingly, Luciana Borio is also named to Biden's HHS transition team. Um, in addition to sitting on the COVID advisory group, which is interesting. There's also, we, we noticed there's a, a former FDA chief of staff. There's a, um, someone from, um, who uh, a former uh, uh, person, a former head of the uh, the Merck Research Labs vaccine pipeline is on is among those that will be soon parachuting into White Oak and and other HHS agencies to kind of start their reviews, so to speak, of of operations to kind of get caught up um, for once everything um, once it, once the the you know power is handed over. So it's interesting that the you know you know as that process begins now too. Yeah, and as we were um, talking, you know, before the podcast, um, an FDA commissioner is usually not one of the first kind of, um, you know, sub cabinet level positions that gets nominated. But um, I think people probably expect an FDA commissioner to get nominated faster um, because of the pandemic. And as you said, Borio's name has been floated out there, I think, because of, again, the ties to the Biden transition team, as have Kessler probably a little too early to really um, know what's going to happen there. Um, and certainly, um, you know, they certainly probably have some influence on it. And maybe even if they're not nominated for key positions, maybe would be making recommendations <laughs> of who um, to be. So that'll be something to watch. And of course, the Biden folks will have to, you know, balance picking somebody that they want and that can get through a likely divided Senate. 
Yeah, it, it, you know, it, it, it's, it's funny that, you know, everyone admits that we, no one, very few people have any idea, probably, if there's even a short list, let alone a list at this point. But, you know, that doesn't stop anybody from throwing names out there. So, you know, I mean, we, you know, Borio is one of the names that, that has been floated. A uh, former principal deputy commissioner, Josh Sharfstein, who's been in, who's been in the news a lot lately during the, you know, talking about the pandemic. Now that he's at Johns Hopkins. I uh, mean, even even Kessler's been thrown out there as a you know potentially going back to White Oak to run the agency again. So it's a, you know, it, yeah, I, I suspect these won't be the only three names we hear. There'll be there'll, there'll be several more that are thrown out there. So <clears throat> the uh, the history nerd in me has to uh, disagree with you, Derek. I don't think that FDA was at White Oak when Kessler was. Uh, Kessler, but I have yeah. to check. Uh, I have to yeah, check on Park that. Lawn. So. Yeah, so, he, yeah, he, so. He'll, he'll get a new office. <laughs> <Not his old. laughs> well, there, there's some real incentive for him. A diff different yeah, uh, different venue. Yeah. So, um, but uh, yeah, I mean, Josh Harfstein's obviously sort of, kind of uh, um, sort of a, a buzzy pick. I mean, a lot of people sort of see him as a uh, um, a parallel to uh, um, Scott Gottlieb, who is obviously a uh, um, a uh, um, commissioner for the ages in many ways for uh, um, for FDA in terms of uh, improving its reputation. Uh, you know, Gottlieb had done an earlier stint uh, um, um, at uh, at FDA before he returned uh, um, as commissioner and sort of kind of uh, um, you know, Sharkey would sort of have a similar uh, similar resume in that regard if he were to uh, um, to be picked. So uh, um, uh, that's uh, um, a name that's been floating around uh, um, a lot for that reason. And obviously, his uh, um, his wisdom on the pandemic has been uh, noticed as well. So uh, interesting would, how it all turns out. You would certainly think that um, it would be smart to at least sort of go with somebody that understands FDA pretty well or the um, really could get the, the ball rolling a lot faster than maybe you might be okay with in normal times. Um, you know, like you have to think about like Trump's second pick with um, Stephen Hahn, like if they had foreseen COVID, would they have put somebody into FDA commissioner um, who, you know, really had such a steep learning curve, which is, you know, not a comment necessarily on Hahn. It's just that if you had the hindsight of, of a pandemic, you know, you might push yourself to, you, you just have different needs and wants um, for an agency. And I think speed is gonna be of the essence for the Biden folks in terms of FDA getting ready because transitions can be pretty disruptive well that's and, a, uh, yeah, and I was just, sorry and in addition to that i mean you're going to have i mean the the, the wheels keep are going to keep spinning i mean there's going to be vaccine candidates coming through that you know the new commissioner or potentially an acting commissioner is going to have to deal with i mean you know it i mean on a on a cursor on a leadership level at least anyway i mean that they're not going to be involved in the review but um you know, plus COVID therapeutics and, and, you know, plus all the non-COVID stuff that's still, you know, ongoing. So, they'll, you know, yeah, like you said, the speed is going to be of the essence here. And, and somebody who, like, like Scott Gottlieb, who, you know, was very highly familiar with what was going on when he walked in the door, you know, uh, might be a bit, you know, might be something that they consider just because it's, you know, that a lot of that, like you said, that learning curve gets, gets you know, really, um, you know, cut down. So <clears throat> that leads us to the big non-FDA news that continues to reverberate this week. 
That would that would be the advisory committee review of Biogen's proposed Alzheimer's drug aducanumab. Uh, Matt, you you were a mo- part of our team that was uh, involved with that uh, in covering that uh, committee meeting. Can you give us the kind of the lowdown and where we're at at this point? Sure. Um, uh, things are not looking good, uh, um, and it's been a, uh, um, a, a a series of dramatic changes for uh, um, for the drug. Uh, you know, I think uh, um, before the uh, the briefing documents were released, uh, there was a lot of skepticism among uh, Wall Street analysts that uh, this uh, this drug really had a chance that uh, um, you know it, it had as a um, uh, people may know it failed one trial and then they had stopped the um, uh, the identical trial the the, the companion trial uh, early when it looked like that one would not uh, work out but uh, they later sort of kind of went back and uh, uh, reanalyzed the data and uh, found that. Uh, um, their futility analysis may have been uh, um, may have been flawed, maybe if I can uh, alliterate like that. And uh, um, they seem to think that that the uh, um, there was some evidence of uh, um, of uh, the uh, the primary endpoint being actually met. And so uh, um, uh, they decided to uh, um, to file the uh, the BLA uh, um, even in the face of that uh, um, ambiguous data. And at the time that they announced that plan. Uh, you know, there was skepticism uh, then as well. We had written a story that sort of that, uh, um, you know, our colleague Bridget Silverman uh, um, uh, sort of ferreted out that sort of that, that there is actually a lot of precedent in the uh, um, neurology uh, field for uh, an approval sort of based on that kind of uh, uh, data, sort of single trial with, uh, you know, perhaps some negative uh, um, data on the side, but some uh, supporting data as well. And so, uh, you know, it seemed like uh, you know from the outside, it was for kind of a uh, um, relatively sort of kind of uh, high-risk bet uh, by uh, Biogen, but uh, you know without uh, um, you know not without the potential for uh, um, a positive outcome. And then, as we learned in the uh, uh, the days before the advisory committee, uh, um, you know FDA uh, really was uh, on board with this idea. They were uh, in fact perhaps the uh, the the party that was pushing uh, pushing it most uh, most of all. They uh, um, they really sort of kind of uh, worked hand in hand with uh, um, Biogen to develop, uh, um, you know, analytical techniques to kind of, uh, you know, uh, reconstruct and, uh, um, you know, carry uh, carry the, uh, the 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 early terminated trial. Uh, um, the the halted one is the 302 for, uh, um, uh, uh, you know, those were kind of following numbers uh, um, stuff, and then the failed one was uh, um, uh, 301. So they were kind of uh, um, used. Uh, um, uh, statistical techniques to uh, um, to complete 302, if you will, and then uh, they were pretty satisfied with this uh, um, with this data package, and uh, um, uh, you know it looked like uh, um, they thought this would uh, um, be something they could approve relatively uh, relatively quickly, and uh, um, it seems like that was perhaps why uh, um, they uh, they had the advisory committee so early. You know, sort of the the user fee isn't uh, user fee deadline deadline is not until March. Um, but uh, uh, they uh, they're having this uh, this meeting now, and it, it seems like they were sort of kind of uh, really preparing for a uh, um, a 2020 uh, uh, approval, perhaps, and uh, um, uh, and then the actual uh, um, the <laughs> the advisory committee happened. It's obviously sort of kind of why you uh, um, why you do these things, and it really went uh, um, incredibly badly for uh, um, for FDA. Uh, um, they uh, they voted almost unanimously against the. Uh, 
the drug they thought that uh, um, what FDA did really wasn't uh, um, wasn't appropriate and didn't sort of kind of overcome the uh, the missing data and the negative data that 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 uh, the Biogen had uh, generated, and so it uh, um, went uh, from uh, you know dubiousness sort of before the uh, um, before the briefing documents were out to uh, um, triumphalism sort of kind of in the in the eye of uh, many observers, and then sort of kind of uh, you know catastrophe after the uh, um, the committee uh, completely panned the uh, um, the review. So uh, um, really sort of kind of a lot of uh, um, a lot of ups and downs for the uh, the product and the agency over the. Uh, the course of those uh, of those days. It's it's really interesting to me because I wasn't necessarily expecting to like think a lot about the COVID vaccines <laughs> with um, this advisory committee, but I feel like there definitely seems like there's some parallels or things to think about. I mean, the one is just you know with COVID, COVID, I guess, maybe not necessarily vaccines, but there has been sort of some questions about, you know, the independence of FDA and science. And here it seemed like the advisory committee, even just in some of um, the stories we've written, just in, even ter in terms of the format of how the advisory committee worked, seemed concerned that FDA and the company were working too closely together, that FDA was too much involved in kind of shepherding this application along in a way we don't see. Um, and I think it just, you know, just happens to be the timing, but I think because the public is just, again, much more like scrutinizing FDA and how it works and sort of the trust in its independence in a different way. Um, the other thing, Sue Sutter wrote a really interesting story that we published yesterday, which was um, brought in COVID, <laughs> again, which was about how the types of analyses that were needed um, for this failed trial to sort of or what seemed like was a failed trial, I guess, to resurrect kind of the application. Maybe things sponsors are going to need to have to do if, say, um, they had trials of drugs that got interrupted or somehow stalled or paused or terminated early or whatever because of COVID. Um, so, you know, non-COVID products that kind of got sort of somehow um, trials got messed up. So that seems kind of interesting because um obviously this advisory committee wasn't particularly thrilled with um how that worked here and so if other companies are left with that um choice will they feel comfortable doing that will they feel like they're gonna have to you know redo their trials for these other products or what i think that's a great uh, um a great point sarah the uh you know the alzheimer's uh, um advisory committee didn't mention uh COVID at all but was obviously kind of i think sort of uh, um Top of mind for uh, for us, and if you, as you've uh, observed on uh, many occasions, it's sort of kind of once you, you know, sort of, you know, lose uh, some uh, some reputation, some uh, um, some credibility, that it's uh, um, becomes very sort of hard to uh, to build back. And uh, what that means is that sort of everything comes comes under scrutiny, uh, um, not just sort of kind of the the issue that was sort of perhaps at hand that uh, that led to the. Uh, the credibility erosion in the first place, and this could, could be an instance of uh, of that of the uh, um, the, the scientific community uh, um, kind of sort of taking the frustrations out on uh, on FDA, even if they're not uh, um, talking about uh, you know some COVID uh, um, COVID related issues. Uh, um, uh, the provision policy uh, um, uh, team also uh, um, uh, came up with some interesting observations. Uh, Michael McCann and uh, uh, Ramsey Baghdadi uh, noted that uh, you know uh, the um, 
the the virtual nature of the uh, the advisory committee may have lent uh, um, some uh, negativity to the uh, the uh, uh, the proceedings. We're kind of it's a uh, um, you know it's a lot uh, harder perhaps to reach consensus when you sort of can't sort of kind of feel the room uh, as much. There wasn't even video on this uh, um, on this uh, uh, on this uh, um, advisory committee, so uh, you know they couldn't sort of kind of. Uh, you know, even through a kind of smile at each other's cameras and uh, um, and that kind of thing, and then of course uh, the uh, the open public uh, hearing, which uh, um, you know included a lot of uh, moving patient testimonials, uh, you know, was then through kind of uh, um, kind of uh, dropped, and uh, you know once the committee uh, voted, they didn't have to look at those audience members, uh, you know, who had just were kind of given the um, you know heartfelt. Uh, um, uh, presentations and sort of kind of vote no. They could just sort of kind of uh, stare at their screens and vote no. And so that that, that could have been a factor, uh, you know, as well as the fact that sort of that, that there weren't as many, uh, you know, perhaps uh, um, you know Alzheimer's treating clinicians uh, on this panel. Sort of kind of one of the uh, um, the need for uh, speed uh, um, that FDA was feeling for perhaps uh, um, discouraged them from uh, from finding uh, you know sort of kind of on. Uh, um, Unconflicted uh, panelists that uh, that could speak directly to uh, um, uh, you know sort of the uh, the Alzheimer's condition and the uh, it was a relatively small advisory committee and sort of the uh, the statistical uh, um, questions and sort of kind of statisticians who were dubious of uh, FTA's techniques were kind of therefore were kind of had more weight than they may have uh, kind of in a differently uh, configured panel. So there was a lot of sort of kind of uh, um, kind of uh, um, you know sort of kind of uh, you know maybe sort of kind of small in and of themselves elements, but sort of kind of add that all together and you sort of get a, uh, a recipe for, uh, um, for some negativity. So uh, that, could, that could have been what happened. Yeah, I mean, we, we've all sat through these meetings where <clears throat> they, you know, the committee kind of, and we've seen kind of the committee's, committee's thinking evolve through the day. I mean, you know, you'll, you'll start with some of the clarifying questions and they'll sound very negative. And then they'll start discussing things and kind of they, you know, they kind of work out those issues that they maybe they had in the morning or after they read the, you know, the briefing docs and so forth. And you really didn't see that in this case. And, and, it, and it could be because there was no kind of easy way for them to kind of sit around and, and talk to each other and kind of converse and kind of work out issues, you know, among, you know, just through normal, natural discussion. I, the, Ramsey's story uh, quoted Bob Temple as saying, you know, he, he said that, you know, they, they look at each other, they talk to each other, they think of things they didn't think of before. Well, you're not, you don't really, it, it's not the same when you're doing that in a Zoom meeting or a conference call, essentially, which is what this one sounds like it was. So it's, yeah, it's a, you, you wonder if, you wonder if they, if they, um, you know, Biogen suffered. And, you know, I, a, a source told me back at the, way back at the beginning of the whole pandemic that they, that virtual advisory committees might not be ideal for for every sponsor and that some may want to wait until you can get an in-person meeting again. And, you know, you wonder if, I don't know if Biogen's willing to put this off until the pandemic's over, but, you know, you wonder if if the, this may have been one of those cases. Yeah, I mean, even, um, you know, the way they tried to sort of condense the presentations um, because of the virtual format, um, I think Mike, Mike, either it was Mike McCann or Ramsey pointed out, you know, you didn't have the statistical reviewer who was um, sort of the um, loan department, I guess, at FD on the FDA review team that didn't really agree with pushing this product forward. 
um, do their presentation and he felt like maybe it, it created this environment where uh, perhaps panel advisory committee members felt like FDA was like sort of purposely trying to hide those voices at FDA and it might have just really been more of a just a factor of how this this digital you know world works um, but yeah it did uh, um, it's a uh, um, it's a sort of an irony that the, the sort of kind of that, that uh, um, kind of FDA's are trying to sort of make uh, uh, make things easier for the uh, um, for the committees are kind of ended up uh, um, sort of putting them uh, uh, putting them off and sort of kind of uh, not uh, um, not kind of smoothing things uh, for them and uh, um, in that situation uh, um, our, our colleague Brenda Stanberg who also uh, um, uh, listened to the advisory committee wrote a story about sort of uh, uh, you know situations in which uh, you know FDA does. Uh, um, go ahead and approve a drug even after uh, the advisory committee votes against it. Uh, uh, you know, given sort of kind of the, the high profile of this product and sort of kind of the the overwhelming vote and sort of kind of these uh, these questions as for kind of uh, you know FDA uh, independence and credibility, I don't think this is going to be one of those instances. And so it looks like uh, Biogen may be stuck doing another trial. But uh, you know, there is uh, um, there's always the possibility that FDA goes ahead and gives it the, uh, the thumbs up, however uh, however slim that. Uh, that chance teams now, but uh, um, you know, hopefully, uh, um, you know, sort of uh, um, sponsors and uh, um, and the agency will look at this uh, um, situation, uh, both involved in sort of kind of both in terms of sort of, kind of what uh, what FDA had uh, done to sort of, kind of get the uh, get the application to this point, and then sort of, kind of how they uh, they handled the uh, the advisory committee, and think about sort of, kind of having maybe next time uh, um, different approaches that could lead to a better outcome for a product. Is is this one of the first times that since you know that we've had an advisory committee, a virtual one, where it's bit where we've talked about issues other than technical ones, where there was a, you know, that where it was like where we had these kinds of issues, like where we maybe would have preferred an in-person meeting. I, I don't recall uh, other ones other than you know there was the one that had all the technical problems, but. Yeah, I think you're right, uh, Derek. Uh, you know, there's certainly uh, been a lot of uh, glitches along the way, but uh, uh, for the most part, the uh, the discussion and the uh, votes have sort of gone, uh, um, you know, gone in the sponsor's favor in, until now. And so, uh, you know, obviously, they're not not like there couldn't have been a uh, a bad uh, um, a bad outcome for uh, um, Edricanumab uh, um, if everyone was sitting around a uh, you know the the, the, the tables, but uh, um, it does. Uh, um, it does lead to sort of kind of some second guessing about sort of kind of how things were handled uh, given the given how badly it went. It it's just that it's the the reason the question comes to mind is because you know obviously not everybody is in love with this format, but um, there have been inklings at FDA that they they're thinking post pandemic about whether or not to incorporate some of these virtual techniques going forward when we can't all be in a room again, and if you know. Uh, you, you just makes you wonder if if is this a case that would, you know, maybe give them some more some pause about about doing that. Yeah, I think undoubtedly they will. Uh, um, they'll go back to the drawing board next time they sort of kind of have a uh, um, have a big meeting like this and sort of think, uh, um, you know, even this uh, this you know this uh, combined briefing document that. Uh, um, you know, has been used in oncology a few times and was sort of kind of uh, was used uh, um, 
here that's where kind of that uh, you know with uh, with Odak it seemed that uh, um, members actually liked it uh, in terms of, sort of kind of having this sort of kind of this uh, point counterpoint in the same uh, um, in the same paper with uh, um, you know the um, the sponsor's ideas and then sort of kind of FDI's, FDA's ideas right uh, um, right underneath but sort of kind of uh, in the uh, um, in the case, uh, in the case here, they sort of kind of uh, didn't include that uh, the negative statistical uh, um, review as part of the, uh, the combined document, and had they sort of kind of not, uh, you know, kind of sort of kind of uh, hide the ball on that one, uh, um, you know, it might have uh, might have turned out differently for them. So uh, you know, there's a lot to uh, lot to think about just in terms of the, uh, um, you know, the, the the virtualness of the presentation, and then sort of kind of this uh, um, this new style of uh, briefing document and. Uh, um, you know, uh, many questions uh, as to sort of, kind of uh, um, uh, how uh, um, uh, how it's best to present uh, negative information. Okay. Well, that's all for this week. For more, check out our website at www.thepinksheet.com. You can also find this in previous podcast episodes on iTunes or SoundCloud by searching for Pharma Intelligence Podcasts. And if you're so inclined, feel free to give us a review. Thanks again for listening to the Pink Sheet Pharma Regulatory Podcast. I'm Derek Ingery with Sarah Carlin-Smith and Matt Hobbs. Stay safe and we'll see you next time.